This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm excited today. We got a guy uh, that I've known for a little bit from GoBundance. His name is Dan Nunny. He is, I mean, he's an investor. He's an entrepreneur. He's got a hell of a story that he's going to tell us about. But we're really going to focus in today, if you're watching this on YouTube, on what's on his hat, which is the Bitcoin symbol, because while he's not an expert, he wouldn't fancy himself an expert in Bitcoin. He runs our Bitcoin microtribe. He's got, he's done a lot of research, super smart guy. You're going to learn a lot about him. And we're going to start with Bitcoin and then branch out and talk about just sort of all things crypto, NFT, metaverse, whatever, whatever, wherever we go. We'll see where the journey takes us. But Dan, I appreciate you being on, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamie. Absolutely. So let's start a little bit with who you are. So everybody knows, like, give us the backstory of you, how you kind of came to where you are today. Yeah. So uh, Dan Nunny, uh, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it's always sunny in Cleveland and the Browns always win. So um, we love it. It's our little secret. We, our, our saying is, you know, Cleveland, it's not as bad as you think. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of that in Detroit as well. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm 38, married. Um, you know, my wife's a dentist. We got three kids, four, six and eight. Super happy there. Um, I'd say kind of my my backstory is I, I was always sort of a little bit entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, growing up, I would clean clubs, mow lawns, uh, make you know, I even had like a uh, cornhole set building operation going with my dad. So, uh, so I, I think that that was like, uh, you know, at an early age, I had that itch. Um, and then I sort of like got into like the corporate world and that got pounded out of me. So um, I would say in my 20s, I, um, you know, at first I was in the hedge fund space. So I worked at Citadel. That's a name that people may have heard of. Um, financial crash happened. I made a transition went to law school, uh, did pretty well there, um, and then joined a big firm in Chicago as a corporate attorney. So I was a corporate attorney for two, two to three years. And, um, you know, I mean, I was billing a ton of hours. Uh, I was, you know, overnighting at times trying to close deals. I mean, it just wasn't, uh, I learned a lot, but it wasn't exactly like a great, uh, you know, work-life balance. And so, it was kind of at a point for me, I was 30 and I was sort of like, well, <clears throat> you know, am I going to do this for, for the rest of my life or am I going to kind of take the plunge and, and, and take a shot? So uh, basically I quit this job. It was a, a very well-paying job, very well-respected job. Uh, and I kind of came home and I told my wife, I'm like, you know, I'm going to sell golf cart parts online, right? <laughs> it's just kind of like anybody's sort of like, what, what the hell? And it's funny because when I would tell people, you know, that's what I was doing. They're like, well, are you like selling used stuff in your parents' basement or something? And I was like, no, man, this is a, this is a real business. Uh, it's, it's online. It's just, we don't have a store. They're like, you don't have a store. Well, that's not, you know, they kind of imply that's not a real business. And so uh, it's funny because you fast forward, you know, five to seven, eight years later. And now, um, you know, when I tell people, yeah, it's an e-commerce business, it's virtual, we don't, we don't have a store. They're like, well, that's great because man, that's a liability with, uh, you know, post COVID. So anyway, so the, the, I guess the, uh, just to keep it short, the, the daytime job is that I run, uh, two different e-commerce businesses. One is called golf cart garage and the other is side-by-side garage. And, uh, we sell parts and accessories for golf carts and side-by-sides, very much a four hour work week type business virtual people all over the globe, um, lots of automations and outsourcing and, um, and it's fun. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Right, how did you come to golf cart parts? Just bang your head. Uh, and that's what came to you. Like what, what is like, that's a very random sort of like, I'm going to quit being a lawyer and I'm going to sell golf cart parts. Like what, 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 what brought that on? Yeah. I think I'm probably the only one that's ever made that transition. Uh, I would guess, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, um, 
they, they say that the the riches are in the niches. It's a nice little catchy phrase. And so I was really looking for a, a niche business to create uh, online. And uh, what I always tell people is, if you can go into Walmart and you can't find uh, a product there, it's probably a good e-commerce business. Mm. Uh, because if you're competing with Walmart, you're probably going to lose. But um, you know, Walmart doesn't carry uh, you know five to ten thousand golf cart parts used. So makes sense. All right. So so yep. with your business, I'm just kind of curious: is this an inventory intensive type of business, like in the e-commerce space? Like, do you have do you have to warehouse all of this, or are you able to sort of you know, like somebody warehouses it, you've got a, you've got a wholesale contract with them. So you can fulfill orders using somebody else's, somebody else's, uh, uh, you know, place. Yeah. It, it's a combination model. Um, but I would say the, the majority is drop ship. So that's kind of what you're saying. Drop where, ship, yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't, yeah, yeah. Thank you. you don't, uh, you don't hold all the inventory. And so because of that, you're able to list thousands and thousands and thousands of SKUs on your site. And you don't have to put out the capital to buy all of them and then have the uh, inventory risk. So for, you know, the vast majority of our products, it is that. But in some cases, we do inventory products that that move a lot that we get good margins on. Um, but yeah, that's how we're able to scale really quickly. You put a couple of pictures up on a website and all of a sudden, if it sells, then you buy the product. So mm, it's, makes it's sense. a nice model. Did yep. you have any e-commerce experience prior to making this leap and deciding you're going to, was it just, was it more like I see the opportunity or did you have sort of a background or did you toyed around with this previously? Uh, no, no background in it. Mm. Um, I just, uh, I was very hungry for uh, time freedom. So when you're an attorney, you're literally trading, uh, you know, time for money. And so I wanted something that could scale uh, and and not require my time. And it is a pretty cool feeling when you, are sleeping and you wake up and all of a sudden, you know, in your, in your inbox, it's like, Oh, you made money. You got a, you got a sale, right? It's a very cool thing. So, but yeah, I didn't have any experience and, uh, but I was very motivated uh, to get out of what I was doing. Gotcha. In the dropship business, I'm curious, cause I'm just not in that space. Like what prevents the, 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 you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the wholesaler, the person that you're drop, you're, you're, you know, you're buying from or, or providing orders from or filling orders from, from them just going direct to consumer or do they, and then you have other, other means by which you, you, uh, you leverage their, their inventory. I'm just kind of curious why, like, where do you fit in? How do you build a business when they could go direct to consumer? Yeah, that's a, gr- a great question. Um, you know, I, some wholesalers, they just don't want to deal with retail customers. Uh, it's a completely different business. They would rather just deal with a couple of big vendors and it's much more simplified, right? Their, their business is uh, making parts, uh, warehousing parts in bulk, and then selling them in bulk to, um, to people like me. Um, but in some cases, they do actually compete against us. So they're, they're both our, our vendor as well as our competitor. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you're right. Like what we're selling is exactly the same as everybody else, right? So, so there's no differentiation really there. Um, and I, I don't go for the lower cost, uh, game. Um, so the way that we differentiate is in just outstanding operations and customer service. I mean, it's pretty cliche, but, um, that's what we do the best. And then the other piece is marketing. So you have to be great email, uh, you know, Google, Bing, Amazon, uh, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be really good in those areas. What, what, give me an idea of like, what's a differentiator from a customer service perspective in that space? Like if I'm an end buyer, right. And I'm looking at, um, I'm going to buy, I don't even know what a golf cart part is like, whatever this piece, (laughs) I couldn't even wheel. I couldn't even name a golf cart part. I'm going to buy this piece. And I see, you know, Dan Nunny stores and I see guy that sells to Dan Nunny stores. Like what makes you different? And from a customer service perspective, what experience would I have that might be different than some others in the space? Yeah, I would say uh, I don't think there was any difference uh, between us and competitors two or three years ago. I mean, we were just, it was pretty much like, hey, we got golf cart stuff. Come check us out, right? That was pretty much it. And so we did a, a full uh, like rebranding. And um, it's more like, uh, it's more of a, uh, I don't, how do I say that? It's just more of a customer focused approach where we, we have different avatars and we're speaking to them directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, we'll say it's more of like how you use it and all the expertise that we have. So we hired uh, a couple of mechanics so that uh, we actually do have the expertise. Because when I started, it was literally people would call me up and they're like, what's this? And I'm kind of like Googling it. I have no idea. Right. right. And so it's more having that expertise, right? Mechanics uh, on staff, 
I think it's um, creating a great brand experience. And then it's just literally when customers call or email or chat, we are there immediately, right? Solving problems and, you know, wowing them with a great experience. So I think all those things, it's a little cliche, but, no. uh, but really it, it, it's everything. Yeah. The, the, the comparison I'll make is, have you ever heard of Sweetwater, a company called Sweetwater? I they have. make, they sell, uh, uh, you know, like as a podcaster, right? Like all the equipment you need for podcasting, or if you love, if you're, if you're a musician, guitars and pianos and all but I, I bought like a boom. I think I bought this boom arm from them. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, you know, is this going to fit your desk? You know, you have this, this, like they were just on it, man. They knew everything about it and they wanted to make sure I was, I had this like customized experience. So I could buy this on Amazon and probably through Sweetwater. They probably have an Amazon store, but um, yep. going direct to them, like I, you know, I, I might pay the same or more. It might not be as convenient as just tapping the button on my phone, but it's convenient enough. And I know that they've got sort of a, an experience behind it. They have experience behind it. Like I'm going to be supported. And they, you know, they, they even called me on one thing, like, Hey, we have this coming to you. We want to make sure that like you got this and we see you bought this too. Do you have the right pin to yeah. fit them together? Like yeah. wow. they're the experts. They're the right? experts. And you yeah. go to them. And then, so like, you know, that if you have any issues, you go to them, they're like, oh yeah, no problem. We got this, 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 and that. So um, yeah, that, I mean, that's the big thing is that um, a lot of these stores that that pop up, they don't have the expertise, right? We've got eight years of doing this. And uh, so it's it, it's a little more difficult. Like Amazon, we, we sell on Amazon as well, but it's hard to be an expert uh, in, Amazon is not an expert in every single niche, right? And so that's sort of where, um, that's where our value is for customers. It's being an expert. It's being uh, quick to be there if they have any issues. And so um, it's worked for us. Makes sense. Last question before we switch over to Bitcoin. Uh, you you were a lawyer. I mean, that's that's a significant investment of time, money, and energy uh, to become that. And, uh, you know, with lawyers, doctors, highly specialized, highly educated uh, uh, people that are in that field, identity shifts can be tough. I mean, you made this decision at 30. That's pretty young to make that decision, but you did it. How tough was that if it was at all for you to kind of put down all of this investment that you made and say, I'm going to sell golf cart parts? Or was it just, it, you were at that point in your life and it was just the right thing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, absolutely. That's difficult. Uh, you sort of, that's who you are at the time, right? You're like, I'm, yeah. I'm a lawyer or if you were a doctor or whatever. Um, so it was a difficult transition for sure. Um, I won't say that everybody, uh, was supportive, but, um, my wife was incredibly supportive, uh, even though she didn't know exactly what I was doing. Um, who wasn't wasn't supportive? Well, I'm not going to name any names. No, no, no. no, But but like family members, friends, like, yeah, some family and friends, not, not supportive. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but my wife was super supportive. I mean, she's always believed in me and, and that's been awesome, but yeah, spending, you know, five, six, seven years on something and then just cutting it out is a difficult thing. But, but for me, um, I just, uh, I wasn't going to be happy if I never took the shot. So, um, I'm glad it worked out well, you know, I was able to replace my income in the first, uh, first year or two. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been great since up and to the right. I like it. I feel you, man. Trust me. I, I didn't have the education. I know you do that. Around. You do yeah. that recently. But yeah, but the career duration and the investment, I moved twice. You know, I was relocated with the company. They paid to reload me. Like I was all in. So my identity was very much wrapped up in that. So to walk away was, it was hard, but easy, I guess, at the same time. And I think it just hits you in, you know, whatever your, whatever your time frame is. Like I'm envious of 30, the fact that you did this at 30 and I waited till 42. Um, but it's like they say, right? Like, you know, our, our chapters are, you know, we, we have different, different times of life where this stuff comes to us. So um, yep. anyway. Good for you. All right, let's talk about this Bitcoin thing. So, all right, so we went from, uh, you know, you were in in with a hedge fund, you become a lawyer, and you're selling golf cart parts, then side by side parts, and now you're wearing a Bitcoin hat, and you're running the Bitcoin microtribe, and you organized the Bitcoin trip down to the Bitcoin conference, and all this stuff. Like, where did Bitcoin come into your life? And and tell me a little bit about that backstory. Yeah, it's funny when you when you read all those things off, it, it sounds hilarious, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, you know, I, I think as I started to, um, make money from the golf cart business, I was always sort of like, well, uh, I need to invest in something because this is this like weird internet business could just fold up shop at any moment. So I need to have something other than this. Yeah. And so I started a couple of years ago, started investing in, you know, real estate, like most of the GoBundance guys are on real estate. That's why I joined. Uh, so actively and then passively as an LP and a bunch of syndications and things. And, you know, when, um, so I had done that a lot for, uh, two to three years. And then 
when uh, the COVID crash happened in the market, I was sort of a little bit taken back, like, well, crap, I've got a lot of money out with all these uh, syndicators. And what if I need it? They're probably not going to give it back to me. So I started thinking, well, I need a little bit more liquidity myself. And it's like, well, do I hold dollars? Um, well, you know, I don't know if you know, but in the last two years, they printed up about 40% of all the dollars in, in human history, right? Ever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so when you do that, you know, the existing dollar gets debased or it loses its value. And so you sort of, um, you lose your purchasing power, right? So the same dollar doesn't buy you as much the next year. And so I started going down this rabbit hole of like, what is money? I looked at gold, right? I bought, I bought some gold. And, um, and then I just kind of somehow came across Bitcoin. I don't remember where that was almost two years ago. And it's just a never ending rabbit hole that I keep going down and it's consuming all my thought and, uh, and investment and things like that. But anyways, I guess, I guess the reason why I got attracted to it is that it's an investment that, um, you know, over a long course of time holds its uh, value, uh, maybe not in the short term, right? Um, lots of volatility, especially right now for anybody that's listening. But, um, but over the long term, it's up and to the right. And, um, and, and then you have immediate liquidity at any time. So if you need something, you could always sell it uh, as opposed to giving it up as, a, as an LP in a deal. So those were some of the, some of the reasons why I sort of got into it. Scarcity is the is what I know to be like what's behind Bitcoin. Like everybody asked about like the hard asset behind it, right? Like real estate or gold, physical gold or whatever. And now we've got we've got Bitcoin, which I know is capped at a certain number of coins, twenty one million or whatever the number is, right? But um, but what? How else does this like? How does it not go to zero? Like what's what keeps value in Bitcoin? If that makes any sense, what is it that that actually allows Bitcoin to have any value when there's nothing hard beneath it? If that if I'm yeah. making any sense. Yeah, no, uh, good question. And I, I want to preface all this Bitcoin talk with I'm not the expert. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's one thing, there's one thing that you, uh, that people say like, Hey, I don't do public math. Uh, right. Like I, I don't do public math because I'm going to mess up. Uh, I don't do public, uh, explaining the Bitcoin mining network. So don't ask me about that. But, uh, but what I'll, but, but what I'll say is like, how, how, why is it valuable? It's like anything. Uh, people think it's valuable, right? Just like people think the U.S. dollar is valuable. Uh, honestly, anything that has value is somewhat of a Ponzi, right? We, we throw that word around, but that, that's really what it is. But, um, I would say what backs it, people are kind of like, well, there's nothing backing it, right? What backs it is the strongest, uh, computer network in the world. And again, I'm not going to explain the mining process, but, um, a bunch of computers around the world, um, are securing the blockchain for Bitcoin and they're decentralized everywhere. So a bunch of different countries. And um, there's all this hash rate that uh, is basically the computation that's used to secure the network. People basically will put money into the Bitcoin network. And uh, as more people buy it, um, it becomes more valuable. As more people hold it and don't sell it, that's really the big thing is that even when there have been major crashes, so that there was, a, I think, an 80, 80% crash in 2017, 2018, uh, something like 80 or 85% of holders didn't sell. Right. Like that's a that's a crazy thing where there's an asset class where um, something drops 80 or 90 percent and they don't sell. Like, why is that? You know, um, so there's this kind of like floor that's set by the, the hodlers. Right. The the, uh, the people that are holding on to Bitcoin that just never sell. It's a crazy thing. Interesting. OK. So what do you attribute that volatility so like right yeah. now, right? we talked about it before. Like, <laughs> I entered Bitcoin, you know, probably a little late. I bought what I thought was the first dip <laughs> and it's dipped yeah. even more. Right. So it you know, it's long term. What's yeah. that? <laughs> then it keeps dipping. Then it, it keeps, keeps dipping. dipping. And it's long term. I yeah. get that. I mean, I, I peak because I'm, you know, there was all this talk about in 2021, Bitcoin might go to 100,000. And man, it was it was tracking that way until until it wasn't. So to like I, again, this is I'll preface each one if you need me to, but I know you're not an expert, but like to what do you attribute some of this volatility to what do you attribute some of the dips that we're seeing? And yeah, you know, the next question is going to be forecast. So many things, so many things. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would say that Bitcoin, Bitcoin and, and then crypto in general, the whole crypto market is really the only free uh, and open market in the world. So like, for example, like in the stock market, if if like the market goes down like 10 percent, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Halt trading, no more trading, no more selling, right? Uh, and they turn it off for the day, right? And they'll do that day after day after day. 
uh, in the Bitcoin space, it's uh, liquid, you know, 24 seven, 365. So immediately if people want liquidity, they can sell. And so, um, you know, if enough people sell, the price will continue to go down and down and down. Right. Um, and so a lot of times you'll see the Bitcoin price um, bottom out days before the stock market will, um, because people can access that liquidity quicker. But reasons for why it goes down, so many reasons. Um, you know, a lot of times there's quite a bit of leverage in the system. And so when people uh, lever up too much and then it starts going against them, there's the, these like cascading liquidations that happen. That's why you see like the sharp drops down. That's one reason. Uh, the other reason is it's definitely tied to the macro uh, landscape. So, you know, it's uh, a lot of institutional players came in in the last uh, two years. And so when they sell off in stocks, they're going to sell off in Bitcoin as well because they they deem it as a risk on asset, uh, just like stocks. So that as well, um, you know, sometimes there are uh, forced sellers like in the mining space. So, for example, I don't know if you knew, but last year uh, in 2021, uh, China kicked out like half of the miners in, in or half of all of the miners in all of Bitcoin were in China at one point, which was actually a risk having too many in one one country. They kicked them out and literally the network kept functioning perfectly. They all dispersed around the world. And now the um, the computation power is as high as ever. And so um, so one reason for a drop in price would be that all the miners were forced sellers at that time because they needed cash to be able to get out of the country. So um, so those are a lot of the reasons. But I think the, um, the thing to keep in mind is that people are always saying, oh, you know, it's volatile. It's so volatile, so volatile. Yes, in the short term, right? But what you get in the long term is stability. Um, what we do, what, what we have in, in the U.S. in the stock market is you have short-term stability, right? No volatility, but long-term, it's unclear what's going to happen. And then you have these massive blow-ups like the uh, dot-com bob- bubble or, you know, the great financial crisis or, you know, what happened in COVID. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on all the volatility. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I like that. I like the short-term volatility, long-term stability. And you're right. The stock market is the opposite. What, what, um, what do you project happening with Bitcoin? Like what factors are you looking at or things that you're looking at right now? So we're in, we're in late January, 2022, as we record this. Um, so maybe when this comes out, maybe you'll be Nostradamus here. We'll see wh- where your prediction goes, but what, what factors do you see in play right now that are going to do you know, and what will they do to Bitcoin in your estimation? And I don't know, you can chunk it down like in the next six months, in the next year, in the next five years, however you want to do that. But like, what do you see happening based on whatever you're looking at for the next however long you want to project out? So um, I compare this to I compare Bitcoin to Amazon in the early in the late 90s and 2000s. So it would have enormous uh, swings as it was finding its um, its price. And so it would drop 90% in a year, right? And then it would be up. And then there's not many years where Amazon hasn't dropped like 30 to 50%. And yet it's one of the most valuable companies in the world. So you get that volatility. Um, you know, I don't know where the Bitcoin price is going to be in six months or a year. Uh, I have no idea. Um, you know, the two things that I look at, the most important thing for Bitcoin is two things. Uh, adoption. So the number of users, the number of wallet holders holding at least some Bitcoin, right? And that continues to, is this to the right? Continues to go up and to the right, right? Um, every single every single day it's growing and it's growing so fast. So there are, I don't know exactly how many users, but you know, the estimate is somewhere between 100 and 200 million users in the world. And it's growing at a pace where if that continues and every day it continues, uh, we will have a billion users in the next three years. Um, and so the internet grew, it took the internet uh, adoption from like a hundred or 200 million to a billion, uh, seven and a half years. Bitcoin's doing it in, you know, half the time. And so what happens when you add, you know, 10 times as many users to a network, right? It probably gets more than 10 times as valuable, most likely. So I'm looking at if, if users started dropping adoption of wallets started dropping, that would be concerning to me. That would change my thesis. If the hash rate, that's the computational power that protects the network, over time started to go down, um, you know, not, not, you know, over the course of six months, but over a year or four years, 
uh, that would concern me. So those are the two things that are most important, right? The price is the least important thing. I mean, unless it goes to zero, obviously. Um, but uh, so if it, but so those are the two things that I'm really looking at now. Where do I think Bitcoin's going? We've seen so much adoption in the last two years. It's just crazy. Like you're seeing public companies put it on their balance sheet, like MicroStrategy, Square, Tesla. Um, you're seeing almost every bank is getting into it in some way. They're, I mean, literally, they're all offering it up to their clients. Uh, you've seen uh, countries uh, such as El Salvador uh, announce that it's legal tender, right? Like you can use it as uh, instead of a dollar or instead of an, a peso or whatever. Um, it's crazy. And so there's just day after day, there's these news stories that come out. You don't hear about it. All this different adoption, all this different infrastructure that's growing. So those are the things that I look at in terms of price. You know, I would, uh, I, you know, I'm looking at five to 10 years out, right? right. I'm not looking at, uh, in the next couple of months. And so to me, five to 10 years out, I see a million dollar Bitcoin price, mm-hmm. right? So we're at, I don't know, in the thirties, uh, we've been in the thirties to sixties range for the last year. So that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm looking at five years out. And so when I see dips like this, I mean, after seeing a couple of these where it drops 50%, you sort of get numb to it a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, in the, in the stock market space, when it drops 10%, people freak out, but in the, the Bitcoin space, it's like, Oh, buy the dip, no big deal. All right. And so, um, so yeah, that's where I see it going in the next uh, five to 10 years. I, I have a couple guys, I, I'll probably have to add you to this. I have a couple guys on, on immediate text threads whenever there's a big dip, like Dylan Cook, uh, you know, Damian Lupo, like, hey, am I still good? <laughs> Not like they could tell me, but they're like, yeah, look, here's what I'm doing, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. I got some people that keep me confident with Bitcoin because I'm a, I'm a recent entrant, right? I'm a guy that's yeah. one, of those, one of those new adopters. So. You need a support system uh, when you have, you know, like you need to, you need to viscerally feel that 50% drop and be like, yeah. okay, well now I'm a long-term investor, right? Maybe I was going to trade on the price, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and the way that I do it is, and what I recommend to other people is uh, just like you do with your 401k and you every week or every two weeks, you put money into the S and P. I mean, most people don't know exactly what their mutual fund price is or yeah, they know what the S and P is, but Every week or two weeks, you're putting money into it, right? Dollar yeah. cost averaging, and so um, you know, on a daily basis, uh, I'm I'm buying Bitcoin. So uh, so it it doesn't matter. It's more the game is how much of this network can you own. So it's almost like if 30 years ago, if the internet like had a value. So the, the 30 years ago when the internet came out, that was the internet of information, right? And like, if you could place a value on owning a piece of that and say there were a hundred units, you owned one, like, what would that be worth? Literally every single thing in the world runs on the internet now, right? There's no, there used to be internet companies and now they're just companies. Everybody uses the internet. You can't not use the internet and be a company anymore. And so, you know, I sort of suspect that 30 years from now, this is now the internet of value, being able to transfer value uh, peer to peer uh, instantaneously without permission. And so I sort of see every single company in some way uh, using the Bitcoin rails. And um, if you could own a piece of that, what would that be worth? So that's kind of how how I look at it. I like that. What about regulation? That's one thing that pops up. You hear, I mean, even in the volatility, there's speculation that China says they're about to crack down or the U.S. wants to do this or that. And that's where you see the volatility in Bitcoin, all cryptos for that matter. But there's, there's, you know, what about regulation? Does that have an impact? And if so, how? Yeah, uh, you know, anything that uh, China regulates is probably something that we need in the world, right? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, because they're so yeah. anti-freedoms. Um, and also, they, I mean, they regulated uh, Google and Facebook and all sorts of, uh, you know, trillion-dollar companies that are doing pretty well. So I, I wouldn't put too much on China regulation. But uh, in terms of, I think, the bigger question is U.S. regulation, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so... The two biggest, I think the two biggest uh, concerns last year, let's say early last year, were one, U.S. regulation, and two, having too many miners in China. Um, and China, you know, doing a 51% attack and other stuff. So anyways, they kicked all the miners out. Uh, they dispersed, hash rate as high as ever, no worries there. That was one of the biggest flood. We call it a fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, in, the, in the crypto space. And so that one was like removed. And so the other is regulation. Well. In the U.S., what you're seeing is uh, they just approved a uh, futures ETF in Bitcoin. Um, all the banks are starting to offer it up. 
And I don't know about you, but people that are, that are bankers usually have quite a bit of influence in uh, the government. And so uh, lots and lots of powerful people now own Bitcoin. Uh, you're starting to see places like Texas and Tennessee um, making it super favorable for Bitcoin miners. Um, I even heard today that uh, a candidate for governor or senator was going to try to make legal tender in Texas uh, of Bitcoin. I mean, it, it's just like it's this game theory that keeps playing out where um, it's just it's in your best interest to adopt it. And so um, and so anyways, I, I think the regulation has been pretty set. Bitcoin is property in the U.S. by the IRS. Um, and um, it's been given the green light uh, by the regulators. Now, if we're talking about crypto in general, like we're talking stable coins, we're talking Ethereum, we're talking all the DeFi stuff, uh, that's an open question. I don't know. Um, that's really going to be regulated uh, pretty hard. And But the one thing I know is that the Bitcoin um, position is very solid in the US now. So those were the two biggest concerns we had um, you know, as FUD. And both of those have been alleviated in the last year. So feeling pretty good about those. It's funny you talk about just going back to adoption rate. I think about this in other in other areas. Like when I when I lived in Boston, uh, Uber was getting its its you know. I remember getting in an Uber the first time, not knowing what the hell I was in. Like they were like, "Oh, this is a great thing." Like I remember the guy showing me the app and all this stuff. But you couldn't get an Uber at the airport. There was regulation in place where you had to have a taxi medallion, the taxi company lobby or whatever. Like you have to have a medallion in order to go to the airport. Couldn't get an Uber from the airport. I was telling you, I landed there before coming home. I mean, there's a whole Uber, Lyft. A rideshare area now at the airport adoption adoption rate you know overrides the regulation or overrides all of that and the same thing with Airbnb you're starting to see that now I think especially Airbnb I mean I went to an Airbnb in Boston as well and literally the instructions I got was like hey if anyone asks your so and so's friend right like that was the that was the uh, the thing yeah. that you had to say because yeah. Boston didn't allow Airbnb but that's all going away so I, it's a great point about adoption. Um, because yeah, the, the more and more people that adopt Bitcoin, and and this is my unsophisticated unsophisticated way of looking at it, like if there was regulation, or if there was something to be done, like too late now, man, that train has left the station. Like this thing is just going too fast, too big, too hard for you to say, oh, let's wrangle this in, just like Uber, just like Airbnb. Like this is free market economics, I guess, in 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 play, right? And and to your point, it's completely, it's it's untethered. You can you can liquidate it, you can move it, you can do whatever you want anytime you want. It's just it's the most pure form of of uh, of currency of capitalism of investment. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, such great points. Uh, you know, it's like you can't stop an idea whose time it's come. Uh, yeah. It really is just information is what Bitcoin is. It's 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 almost like, um, you know, like if you were like, oh, well, we can just stop stomp it out. Right. Like, well, OK, the way you'd have to do that is like, can you can you stomp out the Internet? Well, I mean, in North Korea, maybe. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but in the entire world, I mean, the way that you'd have to kill the way to kill Bitcoin would be you'd literally have to uh, ki kill the Internet entirely. Right. So there'd be no Internet. And then uh, you'd have to you'd have to destroy every single node, every single device that holds the Bitcoin protocol in the world. Because if you didn't, uh, I don't know if you ever watched a movie uh, like Terminator 2, where he like blows up in the little like little pieces and then they all come back together. And like that's like Bitcoin's like a cockroach that you can't kill. It comes back and you can re uh, replicate it. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, like, I mean, that idea of the Uber situation, right. It's just, yeah, even though there may be some people, re people in the government regulators that are like, you know, they're older, they're not into this. What is this? What is this thing? I want the way the world used to be. Right. And well, it's not anymore. And, um, if so many people own it, then they are now, um, you know, they're people that are going to say, well, Hey, you're messing with my, my economic value. Right. And so now all of a sudden, um, if there, if one person's against it, another politician is going to be for it to, you know, show a, a diversion between the two and then they're going to be voted in. Right. And so you saw this actually um, last summer, there was this bill that came up. Um, I think it was a build back better bill and they added this crypto pr provision and the entire crypto world came up in arms and they basically halted it for a couple of days. So they, sh they showed their political power. Uh, and I think that's only growing. I mean, it's only going to grow as you add more and more people to the network. So, hundred percent. 
All right. Very interesting on Bitcoin. I know this, uh, you've got the hat that says Bitcoin. So that's your, that's your, where you spend a lot of time in research, not an expert, but where you spend a lot of time in research, but let's, let's pivot over because you can't have a conversation. I don't think about Bitcoin without getting into crypto and, and the metaverse and all this crap that's out there. <laughs> like, so let's talk about Ethereum for a moment and some of these other coins. So if you're, if you're investing in Bitcoin, you, you probably are looking at Ethereum. They always have this like gold, silver comparison or whatever. Ethereum seems to be more what transactional, right? Like you, you can use it to buy a little bit more. You can use it to buy NFTs and all that stuff. Bitcoin doesn't seem to have that kind of uh, that kind of uh, uh, what's the word that kind of flexibility yet. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But talk a little no, about right. it. Like, what are your thoughts on Ethereum? What are your thoughts on some of these altcoins? Like, do you do you do you play in this space at all? Do you know people that do? Do you, are there strategies around this? But like, just sort of give me an overview of Ethereum and other coins that uh, that uh, your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a, a, a Bitcoin maxi is what they'd say, where I wouldn't even touch other, uh, other is coins or other toxic maximalism sort of thing? thing. Is that what that is? Maxi? Yeah. I think that's a, that's like a negative connotation. I just think that, um, <laughs> I think that like the, the Bitcoin, um, space is just so unique. It's just so unique compared to anything else. It's a, it's a solution, um, to a $500 trillion problem, which is where do we store our value, right? Like, uh, the reason why, um, you know, stocks and real estate are going up like crazy, at least nominally, is because the dollar is not a place where you can keep your value. You know, you're losing purchasing power over time. So every time you get dollars, they're like hot potatoes for most people and you get it into an asset, right? That's why, you know, you invest in real estate, right? Is because it's an asset that grows. Yep. Um, if the money wasn't broken, you could actually store it in that money. Uh, and then whenever you wanted to transition to another asset, you could, but you really can't right now because it's losing so much purchasing power. So anyway, so Bitcoin, the reason why I'm so into Bitcoin is because it solves that problem uh, for the world right now. Now, uh, when you get into all the other stuff, so um, most of the other, let's say, let's start with Ethereum, right? So uh, a smart contract um, protocol. And so the cool thing about Ethereum is that you can build all these applications on it. Uh, you can quickly trade in and out of different um, uh, different cryptos. Uh, there's so many different things that are built on Ethereum. Um, I would say that, you know, so to me, outside of Bitcoin, so Bitcoin to me is like an investment or savings account almost. I almost think of it as a savings account. Everything else is more like a venture bet. Like I'm betting on an early Uber. I'm betting on an early Google, things like that. There's a lot of utility, but um, if you look over the last 10 years, Bitcoin's always been number one. And then that list changes every year. And most of them are not on that list. I mean, none of them are on that list from 10 years ago. And so there's a lot of jockeying in there. So what other questions do you have on those? Yeah. So, so do you, so to your point, you're saying like, look, if you're playing, this is what I take from it and what I would do. I haven't, I have Bitcoin. I have some Ethereum. Um, yep. The other stuff I haven't touched because it's kind of like pink sheet stocks, right? I guess if you put a little bit of money in there, you have 5,000 to play with. You want to throw it, you know, spread it across a few of these altcoins, see what happens. Maybe one takes off and you get this, this big, you know, push and you can sell it and make a, make a little bit of money. That's kind of where you would view the rest of these, the rest of these coins, the rest of these altcoins, including Ethereum. Or do you see Ethereum as like the, the alternative, you know, if I'm going to invest somewhere else, it's going to be Ethereum. I think it's, it's definitely, uh, it has the most it has the most traction over a long period of time, yeah. so it has the most staying power thus far. Um, so, it, but the problem is is that it, Bitcoin's not really competing with anybody else for store of value. That's like set. This is this is digital gold. Um, nobody competing. Now, in the uh, when you're talking about Ethereum and then all, the, all these others that have come up, let's say like uh, you know Avalanche or Luna or or different um, protocols. They're all they're all called uh, layer ones, and so they're trying to be basically what Ethereum is, but be better and faster. So Ethereum has competitors kind of nipping at its toes, and so what I my take is get us you know a majority of allocation, not financial advice, in the Bitcoin space. And if you want to play around with some of these other things, I think that the entire crypto space is going to grow probably a hundred x in the next ten to fifteen years. Like it's a it's a sub two two uh, two trillion dollar asset class. I think it will probably be one to 200 trillion uh, in 10 to 15 years. Now, who will be the winners? I have no idea. That's like betting, you know, MySpace over Facebook or what, you know, Yahoo over Google. So to the extent you can get kind of like an indexed approach to crypto, uh, that's probably the best bet. But 
yeah, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum is going to be around for sure. Um, but that, that's, that's the way that I've thought about it is that there's just so much out there. And like, like you said, the pink sheets, I don't know who's going to be a winner. There's right, going to be right. stuff that goes to zero like every other day. Uh, right. And it is the wild, wild west. There's so much happening on there. I mean, it's just, it's impossible to be an expert in that space. Like you literally have to be an expert in like, you know, just layer ones or just crypto gaming or just metaverse. There's just so many things or just NFTs or whatever. So, um, so I, I try to stick to my lane. Makes sense. Yeah, I want to I want to switch over and talk about what you just met, some NFTs, some metaverse stuff, and just get your take on on what you've seen or what you feel about it or whatever. Again, just more interested than anything. But before we do, going back to Bitcoin for a moment, um, does it have function potentially as a replacement reserve currency? Does that make any sense for Bitcoin, or does it make it sense? I think it makes sense for the world. I don't see another fiat current. Like people say, the Chinese yuan or whatever becomes the replacement. Like, I don't think so. I don't believe that the world is going to adopt a fiat currency as the reserve. I think the US dollar is set for a while. But if there is one thing, Bitcoin seems like a reasonable, a reasonable play for the is that is that in your analysis? Does that do you factor into that at all? Do you believe in that? I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are in that in that regard. I do. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that uh, Bitcoin eventually will replace the U.S. Treasury as a as a reserve asset. Um, you know, I think, in my opinion, I think how it will play out is you're already starting to see uh, a lot of these smaller countries like Turkey. Um, you know, you've seen Argentina, you've seen um, you know Venezuela, you've seen lots of these countries that have these like hyperinflation situations, right? You're going to see a lot more of those in the next ten years. Um, and most likely, uh, in my view, probably 90, 95% of all currencies will uh, hyperinflate and go to zero. Um, in the next 10 to 20 years, we'll probably still have a few major currencies. So US dollar, euro, uh, yen, yuan, um, that will be around. And so people will consolidate into these. Um, and then uh, long term, I could see uh, those consolidating into Bitcoin. Uh, the reason why people would want to use Bitcoin is that it's totally neutral, right? You don't you don't depend on one other country who can manipulate the currency, and then you're you're operating in your in your country based on their currency, and they're 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 turning the dials, and you're like, hey, what the heck? You're you know you're making my purchasing power less. With Bitcoin, um, every it's like a it's like a referee. It's completely neutral, right? Anybody can rely on it anywhere in the world. So I do really see, um, you know, the path for Bitcoin is eventually becoming a uh, reserve on um, currency asset. I, I, my, my, my bet on that, the, the little research I've done and the, the, you know, rabbit holes I've climbed down and conspiracy theories and all that stuff, that fun stuff. My bet on that is this feels like it's probably more our kids that are going to deal with this than we are in our generation. Do you have the same sentiment feeling or do you see things maybe a little bit different? Um, I, you know, the way that these things play out, if you look at like Weimar Germany in the twenties, uh, when things start to spiral out of control, like we've kind of seen 7% inflation here, um, they, they kind of, they happen quickly. And so I don't know how long it will take, but sure. I suspect in the next, uh, you know, 10 to 20 years, we're going to see some fireworks in, in all currencies. So that's great. It's good. It's a good discussion. Let's flip over uh, NFTs for a second. So for those that aren't familiar, non-fungible tokens, these are sort of tokenized assets you can buy uh, often with Ethereum, I, I guess, or just directly you can buy them. Um, what do you think of the NFT market? Kind of where is your head on that? What have you looked at? Just kind of give me an overview from your perspective of our NFTs, something that you look at as investable? Are they not right now? Is it more fun, collectible? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you view it as? Yeah, definitely uh, over my skis on this topic. But um, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I think that uh, a, effectively people are always saying, well, you're trading JPEGs, right? Like you can uh, right click save a, a JPEG, uh, but you know, you've got this hash on a blockchain. And so that it's worth something. I don't know. Um, I think some of the utility of them seems interesting. Like people are uh, coalescing around a project and then all of a sudden, because you own an NFT, like a, a CryptoPunk or a Board Ape Yacht Club, uh, then all of a sudden you get access, you know, premium access to potentially in real life events or, uh, you know, discords that nobody else can get into or opportunities that nobody else can get into. So it's, so I, I suppose in that way where it's sort of like a, like you get into GoBundance, right? Uh, and you're, you're in GoBundance now because you've got this NFT. That's interesting. 
where it goes from here, I don't know, but I suspect whenever we do have a, a serious bear market, which we will at some point, uh, maybe maybe it's the start of it right now. I don't know um, that uh, the vast majority of those um, pictures, profile pictures, will probably go to zero, uh, and in you know they are non non fungible, which means each one is completely unique. So if people don't want to buy that exact one. You can't sell it, right? Uh, unlike a Bitcoin, where a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin for the most part. Um, so. That that's one thing I would be worried about holding too much in that space. I wonder about its 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 functionality in terms of uh, uh, I, I mean the the big and bold projection would be does it replace the stock market? Meaning like could this be the new IPO? Could you tokenize companies? Could you tokenize you know in that way as opposed to as opposed to having a, a stock exchange or, or selling shares of stock? I don't know. That sound crazy to you? No, I think that that. Probably everything will be tokenized. I don't think it's as big of a deal um, as people say. I mean, it's it, it'll be faster to get liquidity. It'll be faster to trade. Um, but essentially, it's just a share of a stock, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it'll just be you can you can get in and out of it, not just from like nine to four p.m. and then it settles three days later or whatever. It's like instant settlement. So I think that's cool. Let's go to the metaverse with our remaining time here. What uh, what are you looking at? Have you at all? Like, what's the metaverse to you? What do you look at that as? How do you, how do you, I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Again, um, you know, the, the, so Facebook just rebranded to meta, right? So that kind of brought everybody's attention to it. And, um, you know, I don't know. I think uh, it's interesting. Um, I think eventually we will have this sort of like ready player one world where we go into and you have this sort of combination of augmented reality where you wear something and you can, you know, you know, like Snapchat, right? Thinking of like Snapchat uh, versus like you also have virtual reality and being able to immediately trade property inside of that world sounds very cool. Um, to me, it's, it's a little bit far out. I mean, we are just like at the very, very, very early stages, but I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be surprised in the next 10 to 20 years if most people are spending their time in that kind of space. So, I mean, right now, how often do we, I mean, right now we're, we're in the metaverse, aren't we? Right. Like we're, we're on computers over the internet, uh, having a conversation we're on our phones all day. So I don't know how much different that will be when uh, just the technology is better. That's a good point. I think it's the idea of you know walking around with these VR glasses and interacting with celebrities virtually, and I, it's just it's it's an amazingly interesting space. But I'm like you. I think it's you know maybe people play in it. You know if they, if you have some 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 uh, uh, cash to burn and you're thinking ah I'll buy a piece of land in the sandbox or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Jamie, I feel like we're gonna. Did you ever see that video? I, I don't know who it was, Brian Gumble or something from the '90s, where they're talking about the, the internet and what is this www dot thing? And so, like, uh, so I don't want to end up as one of those uh, yeah. those videos, right? Like, what is this metaverse thing? This is nothing. Uh, I have no idea, and so I'm open minded to all these new technologies that Same. come out. So, Same. no, it's fascinating. I, I, that's why we're bringing it up, right? It's not. Uh, it's not. It, these are all things to be reckoned with, right? Like we we have no idea what the future will be of it. I think the internet age has taught us that time and time again, right? Like that, you know, we all thought it was a silly thing in this email, but those that really understood it, adopted, you know, the right degree and leveraged some of this technology, some of this, uh, I guess technology is the best word, you know, that five, 10 years later, they look like geniuses. So, you know, the guy, the, who was the guy? He was at the Bitcoin car. He, he announced the El Salvador uh, currency at the Bitcoin conference, little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Mahler's early adopter of Bitcoin, right? Like really, really early adopter of Bitcoin. Who's done all right being an early. <laughs> well, and, and, and just, you know, so, you know, we're at like one to 2% adoption worldwide. So we are still so, so early, right? Yeah. Like we are so early. Um, and so I think, you know, when I was growing up, let's say I was in my twenties or whatever, it's like, Oh man, it would have been awesome to be Back in that time when the internet was really taking off and people were starting to build businesses for the first time, that's that that is this time right now in the crypto space. That's literally a reboot of the growth of the internet. So that's why I'm so excited about it. Tell me a little bit about the Bitcoin micro tribe for the for the members that are listening, or even people that are, that are like, what is this micro tribe you go abundance people have? Like, what what do you do there? What is that? Give me kind of an idea of what you're doing with the uh, with that micro tribe. Uh, we just, we cope together when the price drops uh, 50%. So it's a support system. Uh, you know, people cry on my shoulder and I tell them it's going to be okay. But uh, no, but for real, we just, we get together uh, every week or two and 
talk about everything that's happening in space. I mean, there's a million things happening uh, just in Bitcoin, but then outside of Bitcoin, we talk about um, you know all the other uh, digital assets. And from time to time, we'll bring on guests and to speak, and we'll kind of go back and forth on different projects we're excited about. It's a, it's a it's a good time. Another trip to the conference this year or no? Absolutely. You got to make the pilgrimage. Uh, Also going to uh, El Salvador in a couple of weeks with a few guys uh, from GoBundance as well. So that would be cool. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I heard there's a, I had a a GoBundance women's member on yesterday. Oh, no, never mind. That was in a different space. Yeah. My mind just went to a different thing. It's short-term rental, not Bitcoin, but she's doing it sort of like between tribes, between the men's and women's tribe. Is it just the men's tribe right now that's involved in this, in the Bitcoin micro tribe or some of the women involved as well? Uh, it's just the men's at, at the moment, but uh, open to having women join. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I always wrap uh, member interviews with a question from the GoBundance card game. So the question for you, I'll, I'll ask it. What's the fastest you ever drove something with a motor? And if it's a golf cart, that would be hilarious. But what's the fastest uh, you ever drove something with a motor? I think golf cart. Yeah, golf cart about 16 miles per hour. Uh, but <clears throat> I know exactly how fast it was. I did one of those... Uh, those tracks out in Vegas in a uh, Lamborghini and got up to, uh, for me, uh, 147 on a, a quarter mile track. So do you, are you, a pass, are you a passenger too, or do you only drive those? Like did you, did the professional driver go like 250? I didn't get to go with the professional driver. This is one of those tracks where you literally can only get so fast because you have to slam on the brakes and then turn. So it's oh, not okay. a straightaway. So, uh, but no, I drove it and then he was there basically like turn, stop turn, stop, 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 you know? So yeah, that was cool. Very interesting. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Is there anywhere you want to direct people to, to learn more about what you're doing, your e-commerce stores, anything, anywhere you want to, you want to send people to, to learn more about you and, and all that you do? Um, you know, I mean, if, if it's the e-commerce store, I, not, not many people need help with their golf cart, but it's uh, golfcartgarage.com. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, just, uh, I would just implore people to, to look into Bitcoin. I think that it's a, a really important technology. Uh, uh, for, for freedom, honestly, monetary freedom around the world. So look at it. It was a big learning I had from going to that conference. So I appreciate you organizing all the guys going last year and, uh, yeah, maybe I'll have to make it to this year's as well. So Dan, always a pleasure, man. Appreciate you being on. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.